Welcome to the Reimagined Podcast, a podcast that seeks to reimagine faith and life in the community as we link, learn, and live together. I'm Greg English, along with Brad Hoffman and Brian Dupuis. Today, on episode 110, we talk with Dr. Greg Linville on sports and the work of the local church in our sports, rec, and fitness culture. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's almost like for me to say, so glad you're here. Yeah, that's right. Just waiting. Just waiting. Yes. So glad you're here. Yes. Right. yes. 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 It's true. It's true. It's true what? Thank you or glad you're here? Glad I'm here. Yeah. Both. Glad I'm here. Yeah. 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 yeah happy is. to be in the room where it happens. <laughs> uh, we need you in the room where it happens. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, hey, I was over at a um, friend's house the other day and- you, you know, when you go into somebody's bathroom, you never know what you're going to find, right? Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, this I'm not get, sure where this is this going. This could get creepy. Okay. I'm not sure. Yes, right. uh, I just, you just don't know, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, from their decorations to their doilies to their whatever yeah. that they cover. Doilies. Their, their, Do you need to define what a doily is? A doily that the uh, the old crocheted... Um, it's it's white. Yeah, <laughs> it sits on a table, a plant circular. On it. circular. Yeah. I feel like we're yeah. coming back. By the way, are they? Yes, believe it or not. Because I, somehow I we think that makes yes, things yes. like nicer, yes. or prettier. Yes. Or yes. It, yes. it hides like the horrible couch. But look at the doilies <laughs> yeah. on the yeah. on the arms. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking about the bathroom. So oh yeah 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 yeah. 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 I mean whether yeah. they cover their back commode with yes. with, with yeah. carpet or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just never the know. The big right? fur covering that they used to put on toilets. Remember that? Why? But that's another topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I go in there and um, I, I look down and there's this nice basket there. And of course, that's where magazines are. Sure. And lo and behold, like I just forgot I had to go to the restroom when I saw this magazine. Yeah. Consumer Reports. Yeah. I love Consumer Reports. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I haven't, I, because everything's so digital now, Yeah. I'm thinking, that's a Consumer Report magazine. I so I took the, the magazine. Orvis catalog. You get four of those a week. Wait, you got cut off there. Did you say you took the magazine? <laughs> I, did. Is that, I did. Is this where it takes the weird turn? So I, I, uh, I finished. Sure. Then I, I got the magazine up and I took it outside. I said, have you read this? <laughs> and he goes, well, well, no, I haven't. I said, well, I love Consumer Reports. <laughs> he said, well, why don't you take it? I said, no, you read. He said, no, I got digital. I said, no, I want you to read first. I said, when you're done, then, yeah. then I'll read it. But I got so excited about this. I mean, we're talking. I mean, Consumer the topics reports. that go with Consumer Reports. So think about yeah. the way we did yeah. research, right? Sure. I mean, we did research on on, on three three objects. The Consumer Report. The Kelly Blue Book and the Britannic Encyclopedia. That was it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, and yeah. you had to have those three. I mean, every conversation that came to a decision, yeah. you know, in the home was, yeah. well, let's check one of these three resources. Yes. Which blender am I going to get? Yes. For Cons- our for our family. <laughs> Consumer Reports yeah. says. Consumer Reports will tell you. And it's still yeah. legit. It's happening. And the magazine was thin. It was. Not, I mean, they were always yeah. kind of thin, right? Yeah. Very readable. But you just felt educated afterwards. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible they're still, they're making, I yes, mean, a yes, lot of people I'm are sorry. making the physical copies, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that there's a physical copy of uh, yeah, yeah. Consumer Reports still. Uh, it's fantastic. That's it, before reviews. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. true. Uh, other, like, buyer reviews. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But they, but they have, they've made it. Yeah. Then you think about all these other ones that have fallen under and not made it, but they've made it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
It was so exciting that it just stopped me from my yeah. intentionality. <laughs> you took Fire it from God. the bathroom. Yeah. And said, Look. It's, it's yours. Yeah. It's yours. So if That's you're funny. listening, I'm getting that magazine. Uh, you know who yeah. you are. Yes. yes. Yeah. Do they sell subscriptions? Are there children going around selling subscriptions anymore to magazines? Probably not, right? That's oh, not a oh, thing. That was no, a big no, fundraiser. That yeah. was huge. I mean, you think go, even think, we're going to talk about sports today, but think about for your, your ball teams or whatever. It was a um, Pizza Hut hard chocolate candy bar. Yeah. Or some kind of yeah. magazine like yes. that. Yes. A, t- a subscription to Time yeah. magazine. People. Yeah. Or people. Yeah. 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 Go door to door trying to sell magazine subscriptions. Yeah. Well, and they were much better than the uh, a penny for 10 CDs that you never returned and owed $200. Yes. Yeah. That was yep. rough. Yeah. That was a college scam. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm glad you got your consumer reports, man. That's yeah. exciting. But, I will. Yeah. But Not you, yet, I mean, but think about the magazine you read for research. You read Harvard Business Review or you read. I'll read HBR. Yeah. yeah. So, I read a lot, a lot of different things, but pretty much all electronic as far yeah. as that goes. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, CT. So, yeah. others. Yeah. 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 I don't know. There's nothing like the thing in your hand. Yeah, it's true. I agree. I agree. I like. You know, just like the question the other day about, about electronic versus like the real book. And yeah. Most people of all age ranges, I mean, seem to raise their hand on they loved a hard book yes. versus a reader. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm with that. Yeah. When yeah. the Kindle first came out, was it Kindle or, or the Nook? The Nook. Nook. Yeah. Yeah. Nook. I, I tried the Nook and I, yeah. and, and it was great because it was just right there, but I just, I couldn't do my, uh-huh. I couldn't do my color and I couldn't do my writing out to the side. I couldn't do any of that. And yeah. by the way, Brad. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a book of yours, two uh, books of yours I'm reading right now, and I'm struggling because I can't color in them <laughs> to remember, ahead, to remember what, what, what I need to remember for what I want to use it for. So I've got tabs all over the you place. Can, I'm like, I like tabs uh, too. So I know, but it's, it's not the same. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we get in the game? And, yeah, uh, look at ooh, that. Ooh, ooh. That was it's almost that like was a good. Ted Tussieism, yes, right? Yes, <laughs> That was good. Shout out speak, to Ted speak, if you're listening. I say, speak, speaking of books and a man well read, we're going to talk to him today. So let's do that. Let's welcome in Dr. Greg Linville to the podcast yep. today. Uh, Dr. Linville has been a leader nationally in internationally among both university life and local church life for his work and role in the church in the local church and discipleship in terms of sports rec and fitness he's the founding executive executive director of church sports and recreation ministries and now serves as its resource director he's known for his practical application through many years of service in sports ministry himself and also his understanding and incorporation of theological thinking as it relates to the individual and the local church's participation, which I think I would say is probably that is his greatest gift, the theological mm. thinking through the process. Greg is the author of Christmanship, A Theology of Competition in Sport, and currently is uh, writing a series within the Agone Institute of Sports Ministry uh, titled Sport uh, Outreach Fundamentals, putting the the church back into the game and ecclesiology of sports a missiology of sport and a soteriology of sport. And those are all big theological terms that we will break down. So Greg, not only you uh, have been a leader in this, but you have been a friend uh, to many for years. And so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Note to self, remove all magazines from my bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Ones that you want yeah. to keep, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you know when I come to Canton, Ohio, I'm digging in. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, yeah, so you're in Canton, Ohio, right there at the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I've had the opportunity to be there a couple of times. And what a great place for you to be in terms of sports ministry and, and life. 
Yeah, you ate a few restaurants out, man. <laughs> they, they, they're wondering where you are. <laughs> Look, there's do tell, do tell. Anything else you want to know about Greg? Yeah. <laughs> we have a list of questions. We're learning right now, so that's good. That's oh, good. We had an Italian place and we had a, a barbecue place, and I, I'm here to tell you. Italian, oh, yeah. It was a family-style Italian place. It went down. Yeah. But we would do this barbecue. Family style as like we put just, the plate in the middle or the yeah, serving dish. Yeah, we in the just middle. ordered yeah. a bunch of dishes okay. among us. Yeah. And we'd sit and we'd just tear it up. And then we would have, um, when I, I served on the board with Greg, we would have a lunch break and we'd get this thing from Old Carolina. And man, the, the chicken, the barbecue, I mean, it, yeah. it was. People said yes to the board for that meal. Let's just yeah, sure, <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah. So anyhow, so uh, well, glad you're able to be with us today. As we get started, just a little bit, uh, just give us a brief insight into your passion for sports and 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 really how spiritual formation for you has been a part of that and became your life's work. Well, you'll have to take this by faith now, but uh, I was a three sport letterman in high school. Hey, and, yeah. and uh, I was playing soccer before uh, soccer was big. Mm. And so we got into the state championship game and all that kind of stuff. So, but I, I've also had probably more of a career in coaching, everything from recreational uh, to college, middle school, high school, all the way through. And so starting as a young uh, wee laddie, as my Scottish forebears say, we, uh, anything that had a ball to it was where I was at. And I had, I just came to a point where that was more important than anything. And somewhere along the line, as Christ started to come into my life, I tried to reconcile that and had a hard time with that because how do I reconcile some of the way that I had been coached and some of my own thoughts and emotions and actions. And it didn't seem like it could be integrated And I still remember that I went to some meeting and I got my first autograph from a pro athlete, probably one of maybe three or four that I've ever had, to be honest with you. Don Cockroft, who held the, the scoring record for the Cleveland Browns, the old Cleveland Browns, not the new mess that's up there now, but the, uh, <laughs> he, 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 held, he was like, and I think he still is maybe the second leading scorer for the, for that franchise. And, and he had a Bible verse on it. And that was like, wow, he can be a professional player and he's got a faith. And Don lives in our community now. And I've shared that story with him and, and, and he's been an inspiration to a lot of guys. But that's kind of where it started for me. Like, maybe I can do this, and, but I didn't know how. And nobody, and nobody really knew how. Uh, my coaches... It was actually my high school coach, basketball coach, who who really started me on this spiritual journey because he said, son, I'm going to come visit you in one of three places, six feet under, in a prison cell or in church. Make up your mind. Mm. And police have been out to the house. I'd come up off the streets. It was a tough upcoming. And I, um, I, yeah, I was headed that way. And he got me thinking along that line. But he. But he didn't have this theology and philosophy of how to integrate faith and sport. It more so than just let's pray before the game 
and maybe after the game, go to confession, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it just, there wasn't anything there. And so I, this is something that, that from early days I've been, I've been wrestling with. And there's, there's four, if you want to get into the academics there, Greg, uh, there's four ways that people deal with this. They typically capitulate their faith. They just go sport. They accommodate their faith and sport, and they try to do certain things here and certain things over there, and it's kind of separate. And then the third way is that they reject sport. They move completely away from sport. And then the fourth way is that they try to figure out how to redeem sport and the sporting experience. And that's where I came to. And that's been, that's made all the difference as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if we talk about sports culture today, uh, it's it, by some, it's been given a title, I think all the way back to the 1970s. And it was a sports illustrated article even written back then where we, they've used the term sportianity. And, and, and we know today's culture, it's, it's dominating our existence for, for many yes. families and, and even I know even in, in our location, our demographic, it's it's one of the, the main uh, mainstays of, of conversation. So when we look at that, how, um, how does sport itself, it's become its own religion of, of if you would say. And uh, how, what do you see about that today? Well, it, it, you're right on. You're spot on. And I I've gotten a chance to be in almost every state in the union and a number of countries. And no matter where I go, that community tells me that their community tops the list when it comes to them having sport being something that is dominating. They're the, they're the best high school sports in the whole world. Everybody believes that. Um, now, of course we know that, I know that that's not true because that's in my community that it is true. Uh, so you can't Ohio with, with the, with the American football. I mean, it is, it is tops. All right. So beyond that, the sportianity, the reason, and I think it was, uh, I can't think of the gentleman's name that wrote for sports illustrated DeFord, maybe it was DeFord. Yeah. And he, he coined that phrase because he identified that people that were in the upper echelons of sport, had to treat it like a religion in order to be successful. And I I will also add to that, that as we, as we contemplate these kinds of things, there's another thing that helps us grab hold of this. Pierre de Coubertin, who started the, uh, the modern day Olympics, he, he read what has now become known as the muscular Christian novels. Tom Brown, uh, school days, Tom Brown um, at, at, at Cambridge or whatever they were called. And those books were written by Thomas Hughes. And they were written about uh, Thomas Brown. And Thomas Hughes' uh, mentor was, was Thomas Arnold. So you got three Toms, the guy who was the the teacher at the school and he had a student, Thomas Hughes, and he taught him about how to integrate faith and sport at the school. And then Thomas Hughes wrote these novels about Tom Brown that then Pierre de Coubertin read. And he said, this is exactly right, except forget all that Jesus stuff. 
And so if you look at the Olympics today, they, the, the athletes have to take a pledge, just like Christians, the Tom Brown, the, 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 the muscular Christians would take a pledge. And they stand up and one or two athletes do it on, on behalf of all the athletes. And they pledge that they've done this and they've done that and they've done that. Kind of like when somebody comes to faith and they stand up in, in church before they're either confirmed or baptized and they they go through that. Yes, I've done this. Yes, I've done that. Yes, I've pledged myself to this, that, and the other thing. And the modern-day Olympics were basically based on a secular version of Christianity that de Coberton had read about. And, and he, too, recognized the ability of sport to be able to connect people and hopefully bring world peace and, and help all the divides that people can come together. And so... It's just part and parcel. People really, when they think about it, they really do put them together. Go back to the ancient Olympic site, the the temple to, to, to Zeus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was right there. The temple to Hera, his mythological wife, right there. And the athletes had to pray their prayers and pour out their, their offerings and and. And Zeus blessed me today so I can I can compete in your name and, and have victory. And then they would walk right past those into the into the um, the Olympic field where they competed or into the palestra where they did their boxing and wrestling or or wherever that they competed there. And ancient world knew that religion and sport were side by side. That's why they built their temple and their their athletic fields. So. This is just part of who we are. It's part of our culture. I, I don't know how to say it any other way. Whether you go to Mayan culture, you go to any kind of culture all through the years, and they are all together in this, even though they're, those are false religions. I don't know. Did I answer your question or no, where did I, we go from no, I think it's, it's interesting that we feel like it's rising, but yet it's always been. It's always been. Uh-huh. It's it's always been, and it's understanding that it's always there. This is not a new thing that we're we're living in, but but yet it feels like it's just exploding, and and that's probably exploding because of the financial benefits to it. The, yeah, the, I mean, all the all the all the sidebars that go with it. The marketing, but, is certainly yeah. Different. But people, <laughs> yeah, but people that are involved in this, they had the same struggle that I did. If they're people of faith, and how do I do this? And we see it in other religious communities where the, the the women who are sprinters come out in their full Muslim garb because that's part of their religion. And they, they're struggling with this obviously slows me down, but can I give up my faith, my religious commitment to compete? So it's not just Christians that struggle with this. And by the way, there was a whole era of muscular Christianity, but there was also that era of muscular Jews. And that's what the man who ran against Eric Little was known as, was a muscular Jew, Harold Abrams, until he converted to Christianity later. And that's where the, a lot of the pugilism, the, the Jewish boxing came out of that era. There was a whole era of, it wasn't just Christians. That's my point. Everybody struggles with this. Well, one term we hear a lot on on the field too is this idea of sportsmanship, and 
you've written a book called Christmanship, a theology of competition in sport. Can you define for us the term Christmanship and speak to the definition of it and as it as it is different than the idea of this sportsmanship? Well, there's there's two words prior to Christmanship. The first one you had sportsmanship and then gamesmanship is the other one. And that word is a compound word. It has a, a prefix and a suffix and ship at the end means what do I send? What do I communicate? What do I bear upon me to, to give it out there and get it out there? And so the person, the, the middle of that word, the root of it is now today, man, of course, we know that that's a generic term for men and women. It's for people. And, and if people want to change sportsmanship and gamesmanship to sportspersonship, I'll, I'll, I'll concede and go with Christpersonship. But the, but the terminology today is sportsmanship, gamesmanship. So we're using the male that stands for the, the generic for everybody, men and women. So it's mankind, humankind that is bearing upon their body, sending this message, manship. And sportsmanship, they're to be sending a message and, and communicating something that has to do with sport. And it, it is defined as being a good winner, being a good loser, being a good teammate, giving it your all. It has those kinds of, of ethics, if you will, about it that anybody in the world can join in on up to a point. What do I mean? Lord's day issues, um, uh, performance enhancing drugs, cheating to, to get to then the next one gamesmanship. What do I bear upon my body to win? And what's interesting is that sportsmanship is based in a secular humanistic philosophy. And that is that we do those things that kind of appeal to us in a secular way that we can all agree on up until a point, up until a point that the sportsman is a person who's exhibiting sportsmanship is not rewarded. They don't get signed to the multimillion dollar contract. They're not hired as the coach in the high school. They're not given an Olympic medal just because they obeyed all of the ethics. It's, it's humanistic based. And so therefore there's always going to be problems with it. It's, it's good where it is, but it's never the full answer. And so because who is rewarded is the person who wins, then we move to gamesmanship. And this moves beyond just a humanistic uh, philosophy of relativism and it, it's what you believe or what I believe or it, it's what one person believes and that is I'm going to do whatever it takes me to do to win to get there by fair means or by foul gamesmanship says I'm going to go do this so the Christmanship ethic flows out of that and what it what it is attempting to do is helping those who have said yes to Jesus and they are disciples of Jesus. They're trying to actually live out their life in every aspect of it. How would Jesus compete? First of all, would Jesus compete? Is competition 
biblically defensible? Is this is this a theological uh, uh, idea that, that we can wrap our head around? I will quickly go in these two places very quickly so people can say, okay, if in fact the Old Testament, it gives us iron sharpens iron, and that concept is given to us in the Old Testament, we get sharper, we're better if we come and we help each other do that. The New Testament, if competition was evil, intrinsically, inherently evil, then Jesus sinned because Jesus competed in the garden with Satan himself. That was a competition. Paul sinned because he competed for the gospel. You can't get anything out of Galatians, particularly two, three, four chapters there, where he took Peter to task, he took everybody to task, and he said, even if I'm giving you a different gospel, anathema, curse to you. You need to be cursed because I need to be cursed because I'm competing for the gospel. So if I get any, if I start going any further, I'm about to charge you, Greg, tuition to a, a <laughs> theology class here on the theology of competition. So competition is biblically defensible. Then is sport. And is sport biblically defensible? And we get to the point of saying, how do we judge that? And how do we know? And without going into detail, people can get the book. And there's really any sport can be biblically defensible and any sport could not be. And it depends on Christmanship. How do we approach this? How do we interact and engage with the game itself, with the opponent, what we call co-competitors, the coaches, the officials, the spectators, winning itself? How do we deal with all of that? That's what Christmanship then helps people know how to do is integrate all of that so that we can say that not only is competition biblically defensible, but a sport is. And sport is one aspect of competition, politics, business, all this kind of stuff that they're all under the competition rubric. So in sport, how can we do that? So that's what Christmanship is attempting to do. I'm sorry, I'm long winded, but I I, I'm passionate, right? Yeah, no, but I think those are key things. I'm thinking about just how raising my kids in the process, but I'm also thinking of years of, of running leagues uh, and seeing people come through a recreation center, adult leagues, children leagues. I'm thinking about Brian, who has kids that are competing at levels uh, in, in different areas. And, and you know, what is, it, what is the participation like? And so it kind of leads me to the next next question is you've written material about theologies that is living missionally in a sports community or or the church's role, the ecclesiology involvement in in sports outreach and thing in those theologies. Why? Why is it important that that the church really understands this? As you know, we have a recreation center. We have a recreation ministry here. And for, we just celebrated 20 years of recreation ministry. We've had two two pastors, one who. Who said, you know, we're going to go to this route. Uh, and then we have one that says we're, we're still going in this route. So why is it important for churches to understand these theologies as they as you talk about making disciples rather than just, hey, we're the church throwing a ball out. Go have fun. Well, there's there's many reasons. And again, I'd have to take you through a whole semester and charge you tuition for the course. <laughs> but, you know, Pastor Red, you, you, you're you're a preacher. And one of the things 
that I know is part of your church's tradition and part of your value system is that you want to preach the gospel and you want the gospel to be relevant, not only for the person who is already in a faith relationship with Jesus, but you're hoping to call new people to that. And how, how do we get anybody to even sit there on a Sunday morning on a Lord's day morning? If the secular person, they, they don't see that as part of their need. That, that's not their life. Um, and, and so we, we use sport re- recreation and fitness as a way to empower our parishioners, our, our members, our attenders. We empower them with these opportunities to invite their friend, their family member, their coworker, their neighbor, who would never come on a Lord's Day morning or come to a Bible study. But they would come to these things, the sports leagues, the fitness, the aerobics. And it, and not only would they come, but again, don't miss this empowering part of making disciples who make disciples. Empowering our people by giving them things that they can participate in, opportunities that they can take part in, that they can invite their secularized friend who is today far from Jesus and far from the church and another step-by-step relationship with them. We know that it takes typically six or seven years for that totally secularized, non-church, non-believer to come to faith in Christ. And during that time, it takes a half a dozen relationships with people in the church to keep them moving relationally along that pathway, Greg, that you had talked about. And so it's so important for the church to understand how to do this, the church in general, and the congregations like yourself to understand this in order for them to envision these pathways. If I often get this, somebody calls me up and they say, okay, uh, I've been assigned. We're going to start this sports ministry at our church and uh, I was told to call you and I, I need to know everything, you know. And uh, by the way, um, I've got a meeting in 30 minutes and and I say to him, you don't want me. You want Jesus. And I'm not sure Jesus could do that miracle. It, 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 this is going to take some time for you to envision what it what you need to do. And in this in this process, what is the step by step way? of bringing people step-by-step towards the local congregation. And if we don't do this well, what, what is it? We don't do our sport well. We don't do our fitness well. We don't do our recreation well. If we don't do it well, those people are going to go someplace else. And what churches struggle with is competition because the, the elder of First Church comes in and says, man, those guys, they're using the word of Jesus, but they're not praying. And, and, and they're after each other. And they see the raw, secular person approaching sport, and they don't understand it. We have to understand it. We have to tolerate some things so that we can move people along that pathway. And if we do sport well, what does that mean? A wood floor. 
I'm sorry. I don't want to be offensive. I've never seen your floor. Not tile, not carpet. 100% but, maple. <laughs> but, but wood floor with really high quality hoops. Really, it starts with facility. It goes to equipment. It goes to staffing. And people will know if you're doing it well or not. And by the way, when that six or eight-year-old kid comes to your program, they didn't go online to find you. They didn't, they didn't know. They're not the customer. Mom and dad are the customer. The guardian's the customer. Maybe grandma's the customer. And why do they have that kid in your program? Because you, as the church, they're counting on you to get that kid a college scholarship. That's why they're there. And if we don't understand that, and we don't do sport well, if we don't understand that there's somebody who's training for a marathon and we need to help them in our fitness, in our, in our exercise, if we don't understand that there's somebody who's trying to lose weight or the doctor said, if you don't get your heart thing straightened out, you're not going to be around long. If we don't understand that, we know we need to know how to deal with that person with that heart condition, not just throw them into anything. They could die there. They're coming to us for something. We've got to do it well. And when we do it well, people come. And then because they belong, that's the first of the five B's in the one book, they belong to this church group. That's how they then come to belief in Jesus, because they see the gospel. They feel the gospel. They haven't even heard the gospel, but they are getting the gospel from belonging and then they come to belief when someone then affirms the gospel verbally. But we proclaim it with how we do this, how we live our life. And then we affirm it with our words, proclamation, and then affirmation verbally. And then we move them to baptism. And then we move them to behavior. How, do they, how, how does their behavior change? And then the last B is they become these disciples who make disciples. And so it's really important for us as a church to know the sport culture, to know the fitness culture, to know the recreation culture and do that well. If we can't do that well, maybe we do it some other way. Maybe music is the way we do it. Maybe it's through a school that we do it. We do it through education, sports, is not the only way, although I happen to believe it's the best way I've seen it work. I like what you said there. I think about Brian, we talk about we're, we're even working on a discipleship pathway, even for a church at large, right? And a lot of times we get into recreation and maybe as recreation ministers or, or just trying to do a little ministry, we get so busy and try to run the actual program that we don't, we haven't really named off those pathway steps. You just called out the, the belonging the believing, the baptizing, the becoming, which is more of the behavior uh, aspect of it there. So you call you, you have those elements there. And I just think like maybe like the church today, we're wondering where people are and like in sports and recreation, how do you move people from those fields into the community of the local church? And I, I know that's that's something that we're talking about as as a whole, but is a great challenge. But I do think it, Brian, you can kind of speak to a little bit about 
how important pathways are inside of what we're doing as recreation ministry within a local church. I think for years we were given this box and said, go do it. It'll just happen. And I think now we're seeing some of the results of it. it's just not just happening. It has to be intentional. It has to be relational, but it has to have those pathways of discipleship that go along with it. And as he mentioned, you got four B's that, that are talked about there. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you even mentioned, um, this idea of you're inviting, you're walking with people into this community where they can see see the kingdom of God on display in the lives of people. But there is also this this proclamation. There is also this telling of what you're seeing um, that's very intentional. It's 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 not just uh, just come hang out, although that is part of it. And they get to see me and my responses and my in the interaction and all those sorts of things. But there's also there's also that telling there that that demonstration and proclamation that happens uh, when people are gathered like that. But it's also so important, I think, in the process of discipleship and the work of the Spirit in someone's life, when they become aware of all of the circles where they move in with people and they become aware of their sentness as a follower of Jesus, and then they they start to um they start to recognize, oh wait a minute, like uh uh part of understanding this, as you were saying, part of part of knowing the community around us, knowing the culture around us is, is a way of loving them as a follower of Jesus, you know? And, and so how do I engage? How do I interact? Um, what is the rhythm of the, the lives of people that, that may not yet be followers of Jesus? Uh, and, and what does that look like for me to be in those spaces as well? Um, I think that's, that's such a critical part when, when someone, um, it becomes aware through the spirit that they have been, they are the sent ones as well. Then you look at every, every area of life, uh, differently. You look at what God is already doing in all of these spaces and how you join in. And it really changes the conversation, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So how would absolutely. you go ahead? No, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, just thinking about that. So you're a, you're a father. You're a coach. Uh, you fathered your 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 own children, but I know that you've also had relationships with with uh, fathering other children uh, that have come through your ministry over the years who didn't have fathers or family homes uh, from an adoption standpoint of view. What would you say to parents today who are raising children and the in the sport culture who just desire to be a recreation player or who desire to be an elite, an elite athlete? What words would you impart on them? Well, part of it would flow out of what I said earlier. Uh, Parents need to just get a handle on how few college scholarships there are. And then how few out of that become professional athletes. And the expectations, we have to have our expectations. And this is one of the things that I think is really when, when I have done this at the local church level, helping parents at those parents meetings, they set their expectations. This is one of the most key things that you can ever do. Some of them initially get mad at you because they're saying, no, my kid is going to play in the NBA. And I'm saying, yeah, your kid is also five foot two and 
probably will get there quicker as an athletic trainer than a player. Uh, yeah, but he has all the heart. He has, you know, you, so at some point the parents just need to, to come with some reality. And, and so the church can help in this by just pointing this out. And in the parents meeting, give parents a reality check. When, when we started this at the church I served at, there was no place in the community that the hoops were anything lower than 10 feet. And we had five-year-olds playing. And the courts were college length. And the balls were men-sized balls. And I'll tell you what it did was it made a religious person out of every single parent, grandparent, and guardian in, in, in the bleachers. Why do I say that? Because they were all on their knees praying to God that somebody would make a second basket to end the fifth overtime and win four to two. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you can, in the parents' meeting, help the parents understand the physiological development of kids and that we're matching ball size, court or, or, or field size, hoop height or, or width, all these things to the physiological development of the kid and then add to it the psychological of the kid, the emotional of the kid. And even though that kid may be the tallest kid, the biggest, strongest kid, they're emotionally, they're not ready for whatever that physiological that they would be ready for. And an eight-year-old boy in America can have a five-year-old body or an 11-year-old body. And an eight-year-old kid can have a five-year-old psyche or an 11-year-old psyche. There's a six-year swing. And throwing all these kids in at the same level, it, it, it really is defeating. And so when you have just these kinds of pieces of information that you can pass on to these parents, then they start to have a reality check and they can sit back and enjoy the process. Now, I know that one of the things that, that Cool Springs is really known for is you're working with people who have encountered some sort of disability and you do that well. You understand that those parents probably are not thinking you're going to help them get a college scholarship. They may think you're going to help them get to the Special Olympics, you know, something like that. But even there, there's some understanding. That's not true for, for kids that have never suffered a disability. Parents are driving them and driving them and driving them. This gives us an opportunity just to talk to them about parenting and about their own kids. And if you want to know more, our youth ministry does this. And we have parents classes in our church. And again, you're bridging that second disconnect in the, in the, in the book you have there, the sports outreach fundamentals, there's two disconnects. First, how do we get them into our sports rec and fitness from the community? And we've addressed that you do it well. You get the facility, you get the equipment, you do it well. Once you've got them into your, into that belonging area, crossing that first disconnect, then how do we get them from there into the body life of our congregation? 
And that's where you take them where they are and then suggest the next step in the pathway. And if we have all of those people in our church on board, we all will know this. What do I mean? If you're middle school pastor, and again, I don't mean to step on toes here, but if you have a middle school pastor and 10 of their 40 hour week is not committed, not required to be involved in sports ministry, then I think we're missing a pathway. If our senior high pastor doesn't have 10 hours a week, and if our men's minister and our women's pastor, these people our our assimilations pastor, if these people don't have a certain amount of hours in their job description to integrate, then it's going to be much harder. We need to take the church to the people before we take the people to the church. And, and when they see at your, at your youth league devotional, the children's pastor or the, the middle school pastor, and they're the ones that are doing the devotional once in a while, or again, pastor, I'm not trying to step on your toes, but if, if you showed up at your adult men's soccer league or basketball league, at least once every league, then when they walk into your sanctuary, they know you, they may even come up and say hello to you. Now it goes the other way too. The sports minister needs to have 10 hours a week where they're leading a Bible study or they are, they're championing and planning the men's ministry monthly breakfast. This integration is so important so that people can recognize the next step. And then what it does for the, the other people, the other staff members of the church, it, it familiarizes them with what they need to do. I know you don't do this, Pastor Brad, but when the pastor gets up there and starts to preach, they, they often will say something like, please turn to second Timothy. And the person has just come across that second disconnect and was in the gym the night before afternoon before. And this was the first time I've ever been there on a Lord's day morning. And I'm supposed to turn to second Timothy and I'm beginning to look around and say, well, who's first Timothy. And if I turn to second Timothy, what am I supposed to say? And you'll find Second Timothy in the New Testament. Did the First Timothy die? Is this his will and testament? I, 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 yeah, and you say no. That's that's crazy. These are real examples of things that I've encountered, and we have to learn how to speak secular before we can expect them to understand Christian. And and so when when the men's minister of the church when they're engaged in the men's softball league, they already know those guys so that when then they come, the guy knows them. We took the church to the people before we took the people to the church. So we've got to get them to over that second disconnect between the field and the gym to the body life of the church. And one of the best ways is to have our staff integrated but then also continue to go back to our, our, our people that sit there on a Lord's Day morning and say, who have you invited to this league or to this fitness class? And here's the next step after they're there and engaged. Here's the next step. Again, I'm, I'm going on and on. 
addressing things that you don't want to hear about. But <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I mean, it all points back to to the pathway of discipleship. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the per- I mean, that's the purpose of it. You've you've been a part of this for years now, and you've seen it, and you've got a passion for it. We're breaking ground on a new uh, open field space to create play for families to gather, right. to enjoy, to speak into parents kind of things. I think the biggest thing for going back to the idea of the encouraging word of parents is people ask me, and I always say two things. Number one, you get a note card out and write the reasons why you want your child to play and the reasons why you think they want to play. And you ask you your go. child to take a note card out and answer the same question. Then That's swap, really good. Swap those questions and you'll know how you can align together in this process because most of the time we're not in alignment. And the second, and the other thing is, where do you want your, how, how would you desire to see your child at age 50 and what their legacy is, what their work is, what they're, le- what they're leading in? Uh, because by that time, if they do make it to a professional level, it's over. So what, what is their character at that point? And how are you teaching the why behind all of that? But there is a lot of good things in terms of integration and things like that. And, and of course, there are multiple resources for that. So I, I, how, can, how can people connect with you, Greg, in terms of, um, reaching out, gathering the resources. Where's the best location for that? Well, I, I work for CSRM, Church Sports and Recreation Ministers. And it's as simple as going to csrm.org. Googling church sports, we're probably one of the first one or two, maybe three that come up there. And then once you get on our website, you can go to the store and look at the materials we have, the resources that we have. Uh, you can also just uh, hang around there. There's there's resources on the website that are free uh, that people can grab hold of. And one of the places that on the website that people can go to is the Agone Institute. And the Agone is the Greek word in the New Testament for the athletic experience. In American, we get an agony from a gone, but it's it, it's much more than just pain. It's, that sounds right. It's, 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 it's what we do to, to when we encounter what we encounter on the athletic field. So uh, that will help people if they want to even get a master's degree in this, or they want to get a certification in this. And so that's probably the easiest way to grab hold of us. Yeah. That's good. Very excellent information out there. Yeah. And there is a world of sport theologians uh, and recreation ministers. And it's one of the things of, of my life that I have mm-hmm. thoroughly, I am passionate about, thoroughly have enjoyed having their process and being a part of that at different levels. So, Greg, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Appreciate you taking the time and having those discussions. Yeah. And, and Greg, if I could just summarize the, the conversation you had right there just a moment ago. You have to have a goal in mind. It's your why. What do you, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always appreciated about anybody I've ever met from your congregation is that disciple making is really at the, at the that's at the top of it. That's the end goal, the vision mission. And, and so if that's your vision, this methodology then can help people do that to go and create disciples go and make disciples who make disciples i don't want that to get lost in all this other conversation that's the end goal for this and you're you're spot on and i i applaud what you're doing 
Uh, thank you. And thank you for being with us. And thank you for listening to the Reimagine podcast. As always, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast and download and rate them and share them. You can follow us on the reimaginecast.com website. So for Brad and Brian, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening to the Reimagine podcast.